Well, man, it's awesome to be here. Uh, thanks for having me, Zach. Um, it's kind of funny. It's full circle. My whole world is here. I've got my, uh, my wife here and my little baby, my fourth baby. We'll wave at everyone. Say hi to Christy. I've got my dear friends, Skylar and Lauren, Lauren Coleman here. Skylar's my personal trainer, uh, if you can tell. Um, <clears throat> my sister's here. Clint Justice, my landlord, is here. Um, just got the whole crew. Uh, Clint's a buddy. Clint and I work in the same office building, so I'm, I, but he's my boss. So uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's pray before we get too crazy, um, and then we'll hop into the Word. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Man, we, uh, like Jeremy and the guys saying, Lord, we just say, tonight we want to know you more. That's my prayer, Lord, that we would know you more intimately after tonight, Lord, that, that those of us who have been, uh, God, knowing you for some time, that we would, we would know you more, and that we would all collectively be provoked by the Holy Spirit to know you more. God, I thank you that, that in you we, we are satisfied and hungry all at the same time. And so, Lord, we are so grateful for what we have. We are so thankful for what we've experienced in you. Uh, but, Lord, I just thank you that tonight the playing field is level and that we all desire more of you. Every single one of us, whether we grew up Baptist or Catholic or Charismatic or Pentecostal or Bible Church, Lord, we just we tell you from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, like that song, would you come and breathe in us in a fresh way that ignites a passion for you, a love for you, power to walk in freedom, God, power to testify that you're alive, God, would you just fill us tonight with yourself, God? God, if there's uh, hearts here that are numb, that are apathetic, that are, uh, God, just burned out and tired and weighed down by life, God, I pray that you would lift them up out of the ash heap tonight. In your mercy and your kindness, would you awaken us to your love? Would you awaken us to your goodness, Lord? Would you awaken us to your smile tonight, Lord? God, I pray that through your word, the living word, there would be not just information transferred or even uh, inspiration, Lord, but that you would impart the very life of God to all of us, God, that you would put us upon the rock that is higher than ourselves, Lord that you would establish our feet in the good news, the news that is ever good, the news that is fresh every morning, the good news of your love and your power and your grace and your healing and your deliverance, God, and your provision. God, the good news that the blood has brought us near to your heart and that we can know you face to face and talk to you like Moses did. As a friend, Lord, that's our prayer tonight, that that we in this place, in this body, Antioch, Dallas, would be known as a company of people who know the Lord and speak to him face to face. God, and who love the lost with such a sincerity, with such a power, with such an integrity, God, that, that, that the lost have to deal with the kindness and the love that's in this house. God, we, we, we acknowledge that our city, there's so, many, there's so much need in our city, uh, but Lord, we just declare that, that your gospel it meets every need. It meets every need. And I pray, Lord, even tonight that, that there would be fresh dreams and hope would arise uh, for answers and solutions to those that are in this neighborhood and in this city who are broken, looking for light. And so, God, we love you. We ask that you would open the word to us. Holy Spirit, you, uh, Jesus said you would be our teacher. And that there's an anointing that we have that teaches and instructs us all things and reminds us of what Jesus said and illuminates the word to our hearts and makes it come alive. And I pray right now that you would just 
put me on like a glove and you would do that. You would illuminate our hearts, God, to your word that is living and active, that is sharp in, 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 in dividing soul and spirit. So do that tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to share a little bit about my story. You can open to uh, Acts chapter 18 uh, if you have your Bible. I, I want to ask you something before I even share my story. Um, we, we sang that song. I had to write those lyrics down. Um, you, know, you know in the world, we kind of make fun of people in the world who like sing like Beyonce songs or, you know, whatever, like, man, they're just, they're just singing these songs. They're not, they don't even know what they're singing. You know that? Have you ever done that? Made fun of teenage kids that just sing about lyrics that they don't know what they're talking about. And it's, you know, all these innuendos of the world and how it influences them. And they would just fall Beyonce right off a cliff singing that song because she went off the cliff. You know, what's funny about that. We, we sometimes do that in the church. And I think, and, and it's, and it's good. You know, in the church, it works for our good. The Lord is sneaky like that. Because we sang this song. I, I looked around. I actually took a video with my phone. I'll show you in case you forgot how you sang that song. You guys were, were all out on this song. You said this. You said, like a mighty storm stirring in my soul, Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way in me. I may be butchering this. Like a rushing wind, Jesus, breathe, breathe within. I surrender. I want to know you more. And, and you guys were singing that, and I just need to know, were you serious about that? Because Jeremy was singing it so good, and we were all like, yeah, you know, we were going, Lord, come breathe in me like a mighty storm. Have your way, have your way. Not my way, but Lord, have your way. Did you guys mean that? Ten of you did? I got the video. It was more than ten. I'll show you your face. You guys were all in it. So if it was a melody, that's cool, but if... You know, there's something about words and hearts and, and songs. They, they actually can lead us to the heart of God. And so if you meant that, I, I want that to be our prayer tonight because we're going we're gonna to talk about this issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there is so much confusion and demonic just yuck around this topic. There just really is. If you, I grew up in the Bible church. I grew up here in Dallas. And there is fear around this topic. There is control around this topic. There is pride around this topic. There is uncertainty around this topic. There's insecurity and comparison and jealousy around this topic. And, and, and I just feel tonight that the Lord wants to just wipe it all clean and have His way and maybe show us from His Word in humility, in kindness, in love, what it is, what, what, what's the heart behind this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that cool? Can we go there? Okay. So I, I want to lay a context of, um, before we hop into the word, uh, just of my personal experience, because I, I want to, I'm walking a fine line tonight. I want to provoke you without needlessly offending you. Is that okay? I, I'm going to try to walk that line tonight. I'm going to walk the line of provoking you without just needlessly offending you, because that's not, that doesn't benefit anyone. Amen. I, I had an encounter with God uh, March 7th, 2006, um, and it changed my life forever. And it was an experience I had with God. It was a real experience with power. It was, it was, it was real. It was tangible. And here were, the, here were the effects of that experience, of that encounter in my life. I gave my life to the Lord when I was four years old. My brother was praying the prayer. My mom had shared the gospel. We were in New Jersey, 
and uh, she was sharing the gospel with my brother at, at night, and she was saying, yeah, Jesus died on a cross for your sins, and if you acknowledge that he's your Lord and Savior, and you ask him to forgive you and come and live in your heart, he will come and make his home in your heart, he'll forgive you of all your sins, and you'll live for eternity with him in heaven, amen? Isn't that beautiful? And so I, as a little four-year-old boy, I heard that, and my heart was provoked, and I said, man, I want that. I want to have that experience. I want to be forgiven of my sins, and I want to live forever with Jesus. And so I had that moment, and, and, I, and I walked with God the best I could when I, you know, as a four-year-old, you, know, you don't know what that means, but then you get older, and you start you know, adopting some of your parents' faith, and you start exploring reading the Bible and going to church, and you start learning about what God likes and what he dislikes. And, and somewhere along the way, I, I got snagged. I got hooked by the enemy into pornography, into lust. And, and as a Christian, as a believer, that began to dominate my life because on the outside, I was the, the good Christian kid. I was the kid that didn't party because I, honestly, I was too afraid to actually do the thing publicly, so I just did it secretly. And, um, and so that plagued my, my life for so many years. I was dominated by guilt and shame and condemnation, um, and it was so painful. And I remember I, I remember I used to cry out to God. I'd say, God... Your word says you're powerful. Your word says that you're mighty to save, but this thing, this thing dominates my life. I hate it, I don't want it, and I feel bound to it. I feel powerless against it. You don't have to raise your hands, but, but, but that was my story. And I even had a, a, a spiritual leader in my life, I won't even say the group they were from, but I had a spiritual leader, he, one of our, we were having a, a group meeting, I was in seventh grade, and one of my friends asked, he said, hey, um, is, is lust and pornography, uh, actually, he said, is masturbation, I want to say it exactly how it was, he says, is masturbation something men will always struggle with? And, and this guy said, he said, yeah, that's, that's, it's an issue that we'll always have. Um, and this was a married man and a, and a spiritual man that I looked up to very much. Um, and he just acknowledged that it was, a, it was a fight and it was a struggle that we would always be battling against. And um, what happened in that moment is I actually then began to believe the lie that it was impossible to live free from sin. Because every time I was then tempted, I heard that, that, that voice say, hey, but this is something men will always struggle with. Now, now that's my story. And you can insert whatever, whatever the thing was for you, or, you know, maybe it was gossip, maybe it was fear, maybe it was drugs or alcohol or I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, uh, but that was my story. And so um, I got to a desperate place in college, and uh, I really began to cry out to God because I said, God, something I was provoked by a message that I heard that, that I wasn't actually meant to live on this cycle of sin and forgiveness and sin and forgiveness and just go round and round, not much different than they did in the old covenant. Amen. You know, in the Old Covenant, they would sacrifice blood and their, and their conscience would be cleansed for a moment and then they would go away and they would touch something unclean and they would go, oh, I gotta go back. And so there was just this cycle of, of, of taking animals and shedding blood and, and how many of you can relate to that cycle of just constantly going round and round? And so if something, someone, this man of God provoked me to say, wait, you can actually be free from sin and that provoked me. As a, as a young man, I was in college and and I was stirred, it was December of 2005, and in my spirit, I, I began to cry in God and go, 
I, I believed that was true because I read your word that says you're mighty to save, that you're powerful, that you can do all things, that I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 6, that sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under law but under grace. Lord, I, I read it here, but it's not my experience. It's not my reality. But that man of God provoked me, and I began to seek the Lord. And I began to press into God. And you know what I did? I got angry with God, and I got honest with God. I really did. I remember, I remember specifically on that day I made that choice. I said, God, I'm not going to let this, this struggle, this pornography struggle keep me from you because if you can't handle me and all of my sin, I need a different God. That's what I told him. I said, if you can't, if you can't handle me in, in all, because I'm telling him, I don't want this. How many of you have been there? Like you hate the sin that you're living in. Can you, can you, are you with me? You hate it. You go, I don't want it. And you got to get real with God because he's okay with that. If you've, have you read the Psalms? He's cool with that. Like he, he wants you, he doesn't want you to just, you know, I'm, oh, I'm good, brother. I'm free by the grace of God. He, he, he wants you to get to your heart. And I finally, it took me years and years and years to get to my heart and finally say, God, I can't do this by myself and I need, I need something. I don't know what that is. I don't even know what I'm looking for, but I need something. And I need, I need you. I need your power. I need your power. And I remember, I remember one, one time in particular, it, it felt so uncomfortable, but I, I stumbled and I did what I always did and I hated doing. And that next moment, I had a choice. Literally, the next moment, I went to God on my knees and I said, God, you see me, here I am. And I said, you, you, what I just did was in the full light of who you are and, and, and you know me through and through. And all I'm, I'm just coming to you, Lord, in brokenness and humility and saying, God, I hate this thing that I'm doing, but I'm bound to it. It's a chain, and I don't know how to break it. I need your help. And three months after that prayer, three months after that prayer, and after that posture of my heart that determined to press into God until until something broke, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And and that encounter left me... it left me, I won't get too deep into the details, but I'll say this, it left me on my back literally with the power of God literally, physically surging through my body. I'm a Bible church kid. I was on my back. You know, this was not, I'm not your good charismatic kid that knows how to fall out in the spirit. You know, I, I didn't know, but, but, but I, I just, I felt the power of God coursing through my, 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 my hands and, and tongues begin to come up out of my mouth, just this spontaneous, like a fountain. It just came out, and I was laughing, and, and I felt this power. And that was March 6th, uh, March 7th, 2006. And I'm telling you, from that day, he has delivered me, he has set me free, and he gave me a power. Yeah, you can praise God. You can praise God. And I discovered that the word is true. Come on, listen, everyone who walked with God in this book had an experience with God. Every single one of them. There's talk in the church today that we need to be careful with experience, and I get it because I've now been, uh, my wife and I helped, uh, are part of the upper room in Dallas, and we have seen some wacky stuff. We didn't know, like, we we didn't grow up in the charismatic community, um, but, but since being in a more charismatic community, I've seen some weird stuff. How many of you know you grew up in the Pentecostal charismatic arena and you know, there's some strange stuff, amen? 
there's some stuff that's, that's, that's just as religious on that side as there is on the conservative Bible side that, you know, cessationist side. Amen? There, there, there's weird stuff on both sides. And so I never considered myself a Bible church, a charismatic. I just wanted to know God and experience him as I saw in the word. And so I, I want to I encourage you tonight. That's the backdrop. That's the backdrop of what I'm sharing tonight. I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not some charismatic trying to pull people in. And I'm not some, you know, formal Bible church people saying, hey, whoa, about this stuff. I'm sharing my experience. And then I want to get in the word of God. And I want to provoke you. I want to provoke you to know him more. Because I'm afraid in this day that we've settled for an expression of Christianity that doesn't reflect what we read in the book. And it's a problem. Because the world now sees it. The world now sees the hypocrisy because I think there's a lot of, of men and women of God and sons and daughters of God who have not had a real living experience with God. And here's the thing. That, that's okay, that's not, that may not be your fault, and I'm going to show you from the text that that may not be your fault. And I want to give us language tonight, to not just for you, but to help those around you. And so I wanna, I'm going to mention a few things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just initially some of the controversies. You guys may be familiar with them. Um, one, of the, one of the main ones was some years ago, uh, some Pentecostals said that if you didn't, speak in tongues, you didn't have the Holy Spirit. And, and, and they made it a, a dogma. They said, listen, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And so they created this, this line in the sand, and they began to classify Christians based on speaking in tongues, which is completely whack and crazy. Okay, can we just say that? Can we just come out with it? It's just Looney Tunes. And they made a doctrine of something that you can't make a doctrine out of in the word. And so what they were doing is they were creating divisions or classifications of believers based on an experience. And so so as wrong as that was, there was another group of people who reacted to that and said, wow, wait a minute, don't tell me what I do and don't have, and I'm going to show you in the word that I actually have everything I need, thank you very much. And from a place of defensiveness and insecurity, they begin to defend a position that, that said, I have everything I need and I don't need anything that you're offering. And so what happened is you got this, this polarization of people on opposite sides of the camp. Now, I get it that there's people in all the spectrum, okay? I'm just trying to highlight camps for you and help you understand why the, the, the tensions surround this as they do, okay? Is that fair? Are you guys familiar with that? Okay, good. So um, that's, the, that's the negative side, was that, was that it, it's become this, this thing about haves and have-nots. The second thing that I've seen um, is that the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit began to be presented as sort of a token blessing for the mature Christians who had contended and fasted and prayed long enough and graduated to a place where they would receive this endowment from on high and they would be able to fulfill a greater, more prominent, more explosive ministry because they're the more spiritual ones. You guys heard that? And that one may have not even been taught. It may have just been subtly sort of just dished out through the 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 air or the, the, the posture of people who walk in the power of God. Are you with me? I, I believe in the power of God. I believe we're going to see the power of God tonight. Um, something I've learned is, is he's actually really comfortable being powerful all by himself. He doesn't need my help. 
You know, when Peter was talking to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, it was like while he was still talking, the Holy Ghost fell on him. So I just give you permission. If the Holy Spirit just starts filling you and baptizing you, just receive it, okay? If I'm still talking and you get done before I do, just get baptized and get your coffee and be on your way, amen? Go change the world. Um, so so that's, that's an important thing to note because that's a huge, and I still actually see that one present day. The thing that says you have to earn and jockey and fight and position yourself in this awkward way to receive this blessing from on high, it's, it's listen, it's bogus, it's, it's whack. I just want to call it for what it is because, listen, if you read your Bible, you have a group of baby, brand new Christians. They had been born again 50 days. You know no one was born again until Jesus raised from the dead, right? So they had only been born again for 50 days. And guess what? Every single one, every 120 of those people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not as a token because they were mature Christians, but because they needed power to walk the Christian life at the beginning. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some ancillary token extra blessing that God adds on to the top to, to, to some extra people who pursue it. It is foundational and central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's my fear. I fear we've substituted the baptism of the Holy Spirit for going to heaven when we die. I believe we, if, if you grew up in the West and you grew up in the, in the, in the church that I did, the church, the, the Bible church, evangelical, it substituted the promise of eternal life for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you that in the Word. Is that okay? And so I want to look at that. Uh, if you want to open to Acts 18, um, we're going to be in verse 24. Let me, say, let me say a couple more things before we hop into that. Because this is what we're about to hop into is really important. I believe it will give you language, and I believe uh, for you, and I, I believe it will give you language and context for those around you who may be struggling with this. Um, Because I believe those in this room, you know people who have wrestled and struggled and been hurt around this thing, okay? Um, Two quick other things I want to say, just introductory remarks about the baptism, is that it was called the promise of the Father. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a promise from your Father in heaven. Because I've mentioned the negatives about it, but the positives about it, what it is biblically, it's a promise from your Father in heaven. And he promised it through John the Baptist to be performed by Jesus. John the Baptist, when he came onto the scene and he was dunking folks in the Jordan River, he said, after me comes one mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when when Jesus is referencing this, or in, in 1 verse 4, he says this, He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that language, is the promise of the Father? And it says, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then we all know verse 8, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is about power. 
It's, a, it's, an about, it's about an experience of power. And I want to say that. I want to give you permission to allow your heart to embrace that. I, you say, Peter, you're preaching experience. I, it's exactly what I'm doing. It, it's exactly what I'm doing. I drank a cup of coffee earlier, and guess what? It was an experience. No, listen to me. If your walk with God is devoid of experience, you're not walking with God. You're walking with doctrine. I mean that. If it's just an informational exchange and you're not having, and I'm not talking about just supernatural by yourself experience. I'm talking about experiencing God through the, the touch of someone. Listen, we have treasures in earthen vessels. How many of you have had an earthen vessel with treasure inside of them, lay their hand on you and the power of God came into you and you were healed? How many of you have experienced that? Look around. Raise your hand. If someone has laid their hands on you and you experience the healing touch of God, that's an experience with God, is it not? You have pain in your body, you have some sickness or disease, and just some earthen vessel comes with treasure inside of them, and just by faith, their faith in the word of God, they just stretch out their hand and pray the prayer of faith, and then God happens, and all of a sudden you think, wow, I just experienced the love of God through a brother or sister. And I want to give you permission to not only believe for, but to hunger and desire experiences with God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is literally the heart of God to be one with you. If I could summarize it, if I could summarize the baptism of the Spirit, it's the Father's desire to have what He always wanted, what He had in the garden, which was complete intimacy with humanity. And I want to tell you that that God the Father didn't have what he wanted until Pentecost. He wasn't, his heart's longing wasn't satisfied after Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know that? Do you know that, that Pentecost is not, the, is not some, the, the, gospel, the gospel wasn't over, it was halftime. When Jesus rose from the dead, the story wasn't finished. <clears throat> Pentecost represents something of the heart of God. Why I'm passionate about it, I, I, I feel like I'm called as an evangelist to the body of Christ to make the church go, wow, the gospel is really big and awesome and better than we thought. And I can actually know God. That's what I feel like my role is, 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 is for the church. And, and if there's one area I feel like we've, we've missed or overlooked or been blinded to, it's the fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit unveils something to us about the heart of God to have intimacy and connection and nearness and oneness with us that is so core to our faith to carry out our calling and our purposes of winning the world to God that that, that we need to go back and like Hebrews says, we need to pay closer attention to what we've heard in the text. We need to to not just be, just kind of go, well, yeah, this is where we're at. We need to look into it and go, God, if my life doesn't reflect the Son of God, Lord, help me, bring me into the fullness. That's my prayer because if, if you heard a gospel that didn't give you permission to walk and think and act and talk like Jesus, then it wasn't the gospel. I'm telling you, if the gospel you heard only promised you life after death, then it wasn't the gospel. I'm telling you, man, there's, there's religions that promise life after death. Come on. That doesn't, that's not the distinct mark of Christianity is that you get to live after you die. 
There's a lot of other religions that promise life after death. The, the distinguishing marker of Christianity from every other religion is that Jesus the Christ is alive. And you know how we know he's alive? It's because he takes his folks, he takes the people who followed him into the grave, and he takes them and he literally dips them into the spirit of God and they come up one with him. And now God is in man and man is in God and literally we walk around as, as children of God born, not of the human of uh, the, the will of flesh or the will of man, but now born of God, John 1.12 says. And that's what marks us in the baptism of the Spirit is that moment in which we experience that which He promised through the gospel. And so I want to look at this tonight because, um, and so that, that, that's the context, and, and I'm going to jump into this text, and I know it's controversial, and it's, and it's sticky, and so that's why I wanted to share my heart. My heart is not to, to classify or do any of that. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you, would you help us know that this is about, about knowing you more? I, I just want you guys to know that because it's so important. I'm in verse 24. You can put it on the screen. Oh, I better hurry. Are you guys with me? Okay. Amen. So, I'll just read it. I want you to see this in your own Bible. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him, say encouraged him, and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Say welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So here you have a guy who I believe represents... um, the, the, the leadership of the church that I grew up under. I'm going to read his resume for you again. It says this. He was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Instructed. He was fervent in spirit. And he spoke and taught accurately. Everyone say accurately. The things concerning Jesus. Stop right there. This was an incredible man of God. You've got to hear me. I am so grateful for the men of God over me growing up that were like this, who were fervent in spirit, who taught and spoke accurately the things concerning Jesus, who were instructed in the way of the Lord, who were eloquent, who were competent. Like, this is incredible. This man If he were walking around today, he would be on the conference circuit. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, have you heard Apollos? Have you read his blog? You know, like you would. You'd be subscribed to it. You'd follow his Instagram. This was an incredible man of God. But the scripture makes a note of something. It's really interesting. 
in light of all of this good in his, in his life and in his ministry, and hear me, it was good. It was very good. It says this. It says, though he only knew the baptism of John. Now, what was the baptism of John for? It was for the forgiveness of sins. So here you have a man teaching and preaching accurately Jesus in the fullness of his message. The, the, the ending of his message is the forgiveness of sins. Does it sound familiar? How many of you heard that, that, that the gospel was about your sins being forgiven and you going to heaven? And you didn't actually have a framework or context or why of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if someone asked you, did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You would say, well, I, I think so. I thought I just got it with the whole package. Come on. Can we be honest? Come on. It, it, that's how we're taught to respond because of the whole weird Pentecostal thing. We're taught to respond that if, you know, if someone asks you, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? We're taught to be a little bit of offended, put up a thing like this, and say, hey, yeah, it actually came with the package. Thank you very much. Don't threaten my, my salvation. Are you with me? Okay, so let's, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Look in chapter 19, verse 1. So here Apollos has been making uh, disciples, and Apollos left after having a, a really cool conversation with Priscilla and Aquila where he, he heard the way of God more accurately. He was explained. They took him aside. They didn't shame him. They didn't shun him. They didn't tear him down and say, you're a religious fool. How do you not know about the Holy Spirit? Do you understand that? They didn't do that. They didn't shame him. Apollos, Apollos continued in his ministry. So however they approached him, he actually felt honored and built up and strengthened so that he could go on with his ministry. Come on, those people in your life who may not walk in the Holy Spirit or know the Holy Spirit, you have an obligation to approach them in a way that honors who they are and helps bring them into the fullness. That's what I'm trying to do tonight. Okay? We don't get any points for shaming people and telling them they've totally missed it and you're not walking in the fullness of God. Because Apollos, as amazing as he was, the Bible says that he was not walking in the fullness of God. It's what it's, it's, what it's saying. He, he didn't know he didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He only knew John's baptism. Okay? So then Paul comes. Uh-oh. <laughs> so Paul, Apollos was at Corinth, and Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. That's where Apollos just was. There he found some disciples. Say disciples. Whose disciples were they? And he said to them, okay, Paul says to Christian disciples, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what did they say? No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? If you didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord, Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So I want to I ask, well, I want to just highlight this very uh, important text. Now, I'm not saying... This is always the case, and that this is how 
It happens with everyone. But here is a group of men, of Christian disciples, 12 of them, who were born again, yet were not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Did we just read that? This was my story. So when I encountered the Holy Spirit, I, didn't, I wasn't feeling classified, judged. I was going after God. And when I had that encounter and I saw this in the text, I said, my goodness, that's what happened with me. The gospel I heard growing up actually didn't give me the faith to believe that I would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the man of God who was preaching to his disciples never actually, they couldn't have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he didn't preach it to them. You know your, your Christian experience comes from the word of God. Are you with me? We're not looking for some extra thing. This is like straight from the word. And so here you have a group of Christians who who never heard of the Holy Spirit and they didn't they didn't they didn't feel offended. Paul asks him he says, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit?" He's not saying, "Are you saved?" That's not what he asked them. And you 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 get to the heart of the matter when he asked them about the baptism. He's saying, "Were you baptized in the Holy Spirit?" Now, I don't want to presume and guess as to why he asked them this question. I don't I don't it doesn't matter. The point is, he, he saw something, something in his spirit told him, I, there's something missing here. And the something missing, I believe, and I think you can read into the text, was power. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit always comes with power. Are you with me? There's two other instances of this. One is the disciples themselves. In John 20, 21, it says, uh, Jesus appeared to them after he raised from the dead. Uh, They were locked up, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they had actually received the spirit of salvation, but they had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, while they had received the spirit of salvation, they weren't like walking around going, well, I don't have the fullness. They weren't pouting. They... They were walking out their journey with God, and in God's time, we said tonight, God, have your way. Are you with me? We said, have your way. I'm going to show you after this the way of God. There's a way of God. God was very intentional with how he reconciled man back unto himself. And I know I'm running out of time, but I'm going to get there. I promise. It's going to. So, so, so John 20, so you guys see this? The disciples, even themselves, they had done miracles, they had done all this stuff, and they were not baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is not a classifier. This isn't a distinguisher of, oh, you don't have it, you're not saved. You can full well be saved and not be baptized, and that doesn't mean anything other than God has more for you. That's all it means is that he's got a promise still waiting for you And it's from his heart of love. It proceeds from his heart of love. Because if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, here's what's true of your life. There's other things that are moving in power over your life that are keeping you from having an intimate face-to-face walk with Jesus. That's certain. I promise you. And, and you. and you probably struggle with feelings of wanting to do right. Romans 7 is probably where you camp out. It's like, I want to do good, but I just can't. Right, that you relate to that text because you don't feel like you have power to overcome. Why am I saying that? Because this was exactly my life. The torment of having the desire to do good and not the power to do it created this this whole cloud of guilt, shame, and condemnation that I lived in for about 18 years. 
not that long. Uh, subtly, but then it grew for about five to seven year period. It grew, and that shame and guilt and condemnation became like a cancer to my spirit. And I felt so far from God with a, with a heart that had been washed in the blood, wanting to walk with God, but no power to do it. And that is tormenting, my friends. And I have had, I have had friends who have killed themselves in that torment, literally. They have taken their own lives because they lived in that torment. They could never get free. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a place you want to be for very long. And if you've been there for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. It's tormenting. It, it, it's agonizing. You, you don't actually feel like you can quite get over, but you've got something inside of you that tells you you were made to get over it because you've been born again. You've been born of God. You have the Holy Spirit of salvation inside of you, but you don't have the power to walk the thing out. Are you with me? There's a quote. Can you put that quote up? I want to read it. Um, there's a really good book uh, by Samuel Chadwick, who was a, a British, uh, he was a Methodist guy. Um, and he wrote this book called The Way to Pentecost. It's an old book, and it's really good. But he says this. He's, he's referencing this Acts chapter uh, 19 where Paul asks these guys, did they receive the Holy Spirit? And this is what he says. He says, in any case, the receiving of the Holy Ghost was so definite an experience that these 12 disciples in Ephesus were expected to know whether they had received the gift or not. Their answer was an emphatic no, and they added that they had not so much as heard whether the Holy Ghost was given. The experience is distinct from that of regeneration. Of those who had believed and been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, it was said that they had not yet been baptized of the Holy Ghost. It is evident, therefore, that a man may be born again of the Spirit and not be baptized with the Spirit. In regeneration, there is a gift of life by the Spirit. And whosoever receives it is saved. In the baptism of the Spirit, there is a gift of power. And by it, the believer is equipped for service and endued for witnessing. So here's what we have to do as we walk this out. We have to walk it out in humility and honor. Because again, and we have to go back to, this is the promise of the Father. This is the promise of the Father. This isn't about anything else other than you experiencing intimacy with Jesus and power to do what he's called you to do. Amen. And why do I keep hammering on that? Because it's such a sensitive topic. And, and, and there's opportunities to be offended and feel like, man, is this guy saying, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying anything. I just want to provoke you to say, man, he loves us. And if, and if you've not had that experience, if you've not had that experience, he has it for you. He has it for you. And it's not some... It doesn't have to be something where we whip ourselves up and we, we contend and, well, I don't know if I'm qualified. I'm going to give you right now the reason why you're qualified. And there's only one reason. There can only ever be one reason why you're qualified for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing that will qualify you. It's the only thing. And here's the distinct difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. Are you ready for this? You, you have to catch this. John, those who presented themselves to John the Baptist to be, to be baptized in the Jordan River for the forgiveness of their sins, presented themselves to him in their sin. You guys remember when Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man born of a woman? 
yet the least in the kingdom is greater than John. You guys remember that? If you've been born of God tonight, I want to tell you, you're greater than the greatest man who ever was born of a woman. Isn't that cool? But, but have you ever wondered why Jesus said that? Because he did no miracle, no sign, no wonder. Have you ever wondered that? It's a strange accolade to give a man who wore camel's hair and ate locusts and honey and dunked people in a river. It is. And I, I, that bothered me, and that's how I do with the word. When something bothers me, I know the Lord's wanting to teach me something. So I asked him, Lord, why was he the greatest man? And the Lord showed me because he was offering forgiveness of sins with no blood. You understand the Jews could only be forgiven of their sins through the, through the Levitical priesthood, the law of blood being shed, and the high priest shedding blood on behalf of the people to bring them into the presence of God. You guys with me? You guys familiar with that system? And so John the Baptist was offering forgiveness of sins outside of that system. And people were, were coming out of the waters, and they were forgiven. See, we take it for granted because we grew up Gentile, and we're like, oh, yeah, you dunk them, and they feel and you're better. You know what I'm saying? That's our culture, so we don't understand how disruptive John the Baptist was. This man was completely disruptive to their system. He was saying, you can be forgiven of your sins, Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. There's one coming mighty after me, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he's dunking them in the river, and they're coming up, and they're, they, their conscience is clean. They feel clean. They feel right with God. Is that amazing? Here's the difference. The 120 in the upper room, the 120 in the upper room were not presenting themselves tearing in the upper room in their sin. They had already been washed completely clean of all their sin because there was a sacrifice. The blood of God himself was poured out for the sins of all mankind once and for all. When that blood was shed, mankind, those who put their faith and said he's the Messiah, those 120 in the upper room had the cleanest, most sin-free hearts that had ever walked the face of the planet since Adam and Eve were on the planet. They were clean. They were clean, and they were in the upper room, and they were clean. The purpose of the blood, hear me, this is so important. The purpose of the blood of Jesus is to bring you near, completely clean as the Son of God is clean. The blood brings you near, and when you're near, when you're near enough to God where he can, where he can hold you, and he can dip you, he can literally baptize you into the Holy Spirit. They presented themselves in the upper room clean. They said, look, Lord, here I am. I'm clean. And so what had happened was they were, they're, they're, they were completely receptive to the Spirit of God. They're, they're, the canvas had been blanked. Do you know the word baptism? The root word bapto, literally, they used the word to, to dip or to dye. They would take a piece of cloth. This is the word they used, baptize in the Holy Spirit. They would take a cloth. And they would dip it into a dye, a, a, a white cloth or a, a washcloth. And they would dip it into a dye. And when they pulled that cloth out, the dye entered into the cloth. And you could no longer tell where the cloth ended and the dye began. And this is the picture of being baptized in the Spirit. is for those of us who've said, I've put my faith in Jesus. And this, this is, this is a, a whole thing in and of itself. And I don't have time because I want to I go into ministry time. 
But if, if we don't understand the power of the blood, you will never feel worthy. You will never feel ready to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You won't because, because here's what we're trained. If you're not careful, we're trained to treat the blood of Jesus like the blood of bulls and goats. We are. We're, we're, we're trained to treat his blood no different than the blood of bulls and goats. What do I mean by that? It means, well, I sin and I need to go back to Jesus' blood again. And I sin and I need to go back to his blood again. If his blood cannot take away our sins like John the Baptist said he would, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now by that blood, Hebrews 10, 19, we have confidence. The blood gives you confidence to enter into the holy place. And if you study the book, if you read this, listen, I love this book. I love it. You should read it. You should read the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's all good. Listen, the blood of Jesus gives you confidence tonight. It gives you confidence to walk right into the holy place and say, God, there's something you promised me and I don't yet have it and I want it, God. And even myself tonight, I'm going, yeah, I had an encounter in 2006 and God, that was awesome and you, you baptized me in your spirit. But even tonight, God, I'm coming in by the blood because that's only how I ever come in to his presence is by the blood. And I'm telling you, my heart's, my heart's thirsty. I want more, God. I want to be baptized again. <laughs> I, I want more of your Holy Spirit in my life. Can anyone say amen? We said, have your way, God. We said, have your way. And, and, and if we don't understand the blood, listen, I don't care what you did last night, what you did a minute ago. If you've put your faith in Jesus, the blood has taken away your sinful nature. He's removed it. He's crucified your old man to the cross. And he buried it once and for all. And when you came up out of that grave, you came up with the most squeaky clean conscience in nature. You're now a partaker of the divine nature, born of God. Can you imagine God giving birth to something and it still have a remnant of sin? Are you born of God or are you not? Come on. We can't just say this. This can't be Bible study language. We're either born of God, we've, we've either descended and come out of him through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, or we haven't. You can't have it both ways. You can't be born again and a sinner. Come on, that fires me up. We, we got we to gotta, we gotta hit this thing hard in the church. That's like an accepted talk. Well, I'm just a sinner. Uh, no, you're not. The nature of God may be buried deep within years of sin habits. Come on, are you with me? When you got born again, God put his nature and his DNA inside of you, buried beneath thoughts and feelings and emotions and behaviors that for years had been tutored by the fall of man. And so we confuse that and say, well, because I'm sinning, I must still be a sinner. That's like saying, because my son can't walk, he's not a human. You didn't catch that. We say, because I have the capability or because I keep sinning, I must not be completely righteous as he's righteous. That's like me saying, my little baby six-month-old is not a human because he can't walk and talk like me. We don't understand how to grow up into salvation. We don't understand the way of God and how he purposed it. He shed his blood to bring us near to his heart so we can put our head on his chest. And when we're there, he says, now I'm going to take you and I'm going to fill you with myself. 
and I'm going to send you into all the earth. And that little, that spirit of God, Paul had this language. He says, man, I'm in labor. I'm, I'm pouring into you the word of God. He goes, I'm in such anguish until Christ is formed in you. He literally, as he ministered the word of God to them, their Christ-like nature would begin to grow up. And now their thoughts and their feelings and their emotions would begin to reflect Christ. And now their behavior would begin to reflect the inner reality of the work of the Spirit in righteousness would begin to manifest through their thoughts, through their actions, behavior. But we undermine Christians by saying, you still have a sinful nature and you'll never be free. And I'm telling you, it's an abomination to the gospel, and that's not too strong of language. It is. It is. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's anathema to what he did on the cross. It, and, and the reason I'm hitting that, 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 that so strong is because it undermines what he did. To say that we've been born of him, you can't have it both ways. You can't be, he says in the Bible that we've been obtained by his own blood. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you've been made one spirit with him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? God being made one with someone who still has sin, sin, sinner? Can you imagine him joining himself to sin? You would die in a moment like Uzzah did in 2 Samuel 6. You would. You know what I'm talking about? Uzzah touches the ark and he dies in a moment because of sin. And now how clean, how clean must we be by the blood of Jesus to literally be temples of the Holy Spirit? Come on. We, don't, we, haven't, we haven't even scratched the surface of what the blood can do. If the blood can make us so clean that God himself can literally live in this mortal body. And that's the foundation. That's the ground in which we stand on, in which we present ourselves to be baptized into the Holy Spirit, which is the promise of the Father. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I know we're getting close to time, but I want to I want to make some room. Um, <clears throat> I want to make some room tonight for us to respond to this word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And if you've heard nothing tonight, I want you to hear this. God is jealous for you. Like, he's passionate for you. And I feel the reason why sometimes I get excited, I'm actually an introvert and don't like to be around people that much. But but I, I feel his passion and his love and his zeal for you. I feel that. I, I, I feel his desire to be intimate with you. And it doesn't matter where you come from and what, if we can all agree that we're all hungry for more of him. And that song that we sang, that we just, we want you to have your way, God. But I very specifically tonight, I believe there's something about responding in faith. And I want to invite you, there's a, there's a big room up here on this altar. If, if you desire tonight, if you felt a, a stirring and a hunger and you said, you know what? I would like to have that experience. I would like to have an experience with God.
because I feel like my walk has been dry and, and, and I don't know, maybe I haven't received the baptism, maybe I have or I don't know. If you're not sure, whatever it is, but I want to invite you to come and we're going to we're going to lay hands on you like the Bible says. And we're just going to very simply ask that what God promised he would do, that he would do tonight. And here's the thing, Jesus is the one baptizing us. Do you know that? Jesus is the baptizer. It's not me. It's not you. You don't can't baptize yourself. So you coming up on this altar is your way of saying, God, I believe your blood has cleansed me. I belong to you. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to dip me, to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, Lord, it's the consummation. It's the consummation. It's the fulfillment of what you did on the cross. Lord, would you bring me into the fullness? It's just that heart's cry. Yeah, just come. Just come. Don't wait. Just now's the time. Just come. Just come. Just come. I'm telling you, he's willing. Oh, it's, thank you, God. We don't have to jockey for your willingness. Oh, the blood, the power of the blood is that you're willing. Oh, hear this as you come. As you come, you have to hear this as you come. As you come, don't wonder. You don't have to wonder. The blood makes us certain. The blood makes us certain of his willingness. You say, well, how can I know? How can I be certain? Because his blood is the deposit. His blood is the guarantee that he's willing. He already gave it all. He already gave you the, he already gave you everything. So no striving in this place. No striving, you're, you're, you're his kids. You sit here, you're his kids. No striving, no striving. Just sit here, he, he's a dad, he's a father, he's a good father. And he'll give good gifts to his children. Oh, he'll give good gifts to those who ask of him. If you ask for a, a bread, he's not gonna give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, he won't give you a snake.